I'd ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. And I'll be reading uh, Acts chapter 9, 1 to 31, but I'm just going to focus on, on verses 1 to 9. I, I realized that the, uh, with the, the video earlier that it was a, bit, a little bit longer, so I'm going to cut this a little bit, a little bit shorter than normal. Um, so uh, Acts chapter 9, 1 to 31. But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you have, by the which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples of Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his na this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his inspired and errant holy word. Let's pray together. Great and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for the revelation of Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. We praise you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in Scripture. We thank you and praise you for the way that you revealed yourself to the Apostle Paul personally. And Lord Jesus, how you personally testified to him as to who you are really. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for granting Saul of Tarsus repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and for sending him on mission. And we praise you, Lord, for the success of that mission. And Lord, we praise you that we here who are gathered together in this church thousands of kilometers and 2,000 years later, we praise you, Lord, that we are in Christ in large part due to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And we pray, Lord Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to our hearts even now as we consider who you really are and the impact that an encounter with you made upon his life. Cause us, I pray, Lord, to have a fresh encounter with Jesus, not in a, in a sense of emotionalism, but, but in a, to our very hearts through your word, that our hearts might be changed, refreshed, and built up in Christ. And for any who are here or who are hearing this word of God, I pray that you would work in their hearts, help them to see Jesus for the first time, that, that unbelievers would see Christ for who he is and would turn to him in repentance and faith. All through the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of your Son, in whom we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we are, are dealing with what is really one of the most important events in the book of Acts. It's really second only to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of all believers on the day of Pentecost. Uh, speaking of the conversion of Paul. And the importance of this event is demonstrated by the fact that Luke relays the story of the conversion of Paul three times in the book of Acts. That's important is also seen in the fact that, that the Apostle Paul refers to elements of his conversion many times in his epistles. And this event and its importance cannot be overemphasized in the narrative of Scripture. In fact, it can be argued that since the coming of Christ, no one has had as important an influence on world history as the Apostle Paul. No one, not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Genghis Khan, none have had as big of an influence as the Apostle Paul, and it's not even close. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote 13 of the books of the Bible, fully half of the books 
of the New Testament. Paul was used of God to spread the gospel from, from Damascus and the Nabataean kingdom in the east into Israel, Cilicia, Galatia, Asia Minor, Bithynia, Macedonia, Achaia, and Rome, as well as the islands of Crete and Malta on three missionary journeys. During that time, he traveled over 16,000 kilometers. And it's possible that the Apostle Paul also made it to Spain, as was his intent, another 1,000 kilometers each way. The Apostle Paul told people about Jesus Christ in most of the major cities of the ancient world at that time. If you are a Christian this morning, you can thank God for the Apostle Paul. For the conversion of the Apostle Paul. This passage is nestled between the conversion of two Gentiles, between the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and the conversion of Cornelius the Roman centurion in chapter 10. And the, the larger section here of Acts focuses on the church's witness to Hellenist Jews. And really, the Apostle Paul slots in perfectly as a Greek-speaking Hellenist diaspora Jew. And Paul will become the apostolic leader of the church's witness to the Gentiles. But the Apostle Paul was not always the Apostle Paul. Paul is the, the Latinized version of his name. He was given the Jewish name Saul at birth and will be continued to be referred to as Saul until Acts 13.13. And I'm, I'm, I hope you're not going to be confused. I'm going to go back and forth between Saul and Paul depending on the context. The Holy Spirit himself even refers to him as Saul in Acts 13.2. Saul began his career as Saul the Pharisee, the opponent of Christ and the church. And by his own admission in 1 Timothy 1.13, he was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Remember, we met him at the end of, of Acts chapter 7 as he supervised the stoning of Stephen, the church's first martyr. And Luke continues in Acts chapter 8, saying that, that Saul approved of Stephen's execution and was ravaging the church, dragging men and women off to prison. In our passage this morning, he is continuing his persecution. He's actually advancing his persecution of the church, breathing out threats and murder against Christians, seeking to arrest them in Damascus. Dennis Johnson says that burning with zeal but blinded by ignorance, Saul had things backwards. He was about to discover that those whom he was hunting down as enemies of God were in fact the beloved and chosen people of God, friends of the Messiah. And we'll see that by the end of our passage, we find Saul himself risking death as he is persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. His ministry will be the focus of the, really of much of the rest of the book of Acts as he continues to lay down his life for the Lord. Last week, Daryl read for us during the, the call to worship Psalm 139. And verses 21 and 22, you're probably familiar with this, reads, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Saul of Tarsus was clearly an enemy of the church and an enemy of God. 
But how do you destroy your enemy? By making him your friend. God destroyed his enemy, Saul, by making him his friend. As Daryl Bach reminds us, Saul is the ultimate example of God's initiative to save the enemy who, more importantly, is still a sinner who is loved and in need of salvation. In God's providence, Saul was God's chosen instrument for the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. However, Saul didn't recognize that fact. In fact, as we continue in this, in this passage, really none of the key players in this passage recognized what God was doing, at least initially, apart from Barnabas and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 9 that Saul didn't recognize the Lord or his own mission. Saul did not recognize the Lord or his own mission. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 10 to 31. In verses 10 to 19a, Ananias didn't recognize Saul. And in verses 19b to 31, the Jews and the disciples didn't recognize Saul. In this passage, we see how God is glorified as he turns an enemy into a friend by saving him and then empowering him to proclaim Christ throughout the ancient Near East. Christ was building his church through the one who tried to destroy it. So in verses 1 to 9, Saul didn't recognize the Lord or his own mission. As chapter 9 opens, we see Saul still ravaging the church. He's breathing out threats and murder against her. What a, a vivid picture of his hatred of the church. He continued to, to round up Christians who Luke refers to as those belonging to the way. It's a clear reference to the way of salvation. Saul wanted to arrest them and to drag them back to prison in Jerusalem. He was like the Nazis rounding up Jews to send them to concentration camps and death. And in his persecution of Christians, he sought to eradicate the church. As we'll see in a few minutes, it's not just the church he wanted to destroy. It was the head of the church that he hated. Now Saul's range was expanding. He, he was not content to eradicate Christianity in Jerusalem and Judea. He asked for letters from the high priest that would authorize him to go and to search out, to search out Christians from synagogues in Damascus. Damascus is a, a Syrian city about 200 kilometers north, uh, northeast of Jerusalem. It's, it's the same site that where Damascus in Syria is today. It was an important city along the trade route between Egypt and Mesopotamia. It was the chief city of the League of Ten Cities known as the Decapolis. And at that time, it held a large Jewish population, and evidently Christianity had already spread to the city. And as Saul approached Damascus, hell-bent on the destruction of the church, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And in Paul's testimony later in Acts, he'll say it's, it was midday. It was high noon for Saul. The midday desert sun could not compete with the light of the glory of the exalted Christ. Light or, or lightning 
often accompanied theophanies, the appearances of God in the scriptures. In, in fact, this is exactly what Saul is witnessing. The appearance of the glorified Son of God. And Saul fell to the ground at shock and horror of the one who was there before him. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul didn't recognize who was there before him. His life had been completely consumed by a wrong understanding of who Jesus is. He testified in 2 Corinthians 5.16, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. He, he, as a, from a fleshly perspective, he regarded Jesus. We all did. In other words, we all had a, a fleshy response to Jesus Christ. We did, we did not recognize him as the Son of God incarnate. But some who claim to know Jesus don't truly know who he is. They might believe in Jesus, but they do not believe on Jesus. They're content to know the facts about who he is, but they're not trusting in him as their Lord and Savior. They may give lip service to him, but do not worship him and submit to him for who he is. Now, when Saul says, who are you, Lord? His address, Lord, may reflect some knowledge that he was in the presence of of a supernatural being or, or possibly even a divine being. However, he did not mean Lord in the same way that we would call Jesus Lord. He did not yet recognize who Jesus is. But all that was about to change. The Lord Jesus replied, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Jesus Christ is one with his church. The persecution of Christians is the persecution of Christ himself. And that moment, Saul recognized his sin. And that, in that moment, he recognized his misguided zeal. Saul had not recognized his own mission. He thought his mission was to destroy the church out of service to God. He thought it was zeal for God, but it was actually zeal in opposition to God. And how many in our day do the same? Claiming to serve God while actually serving false gods and serving themselves. And this isn't just in the false religions and the cults, but, it, but in many of those who would identify themselves as Christians. And sadly, most of all, even among those who are Christians. Misguided zeal has done a great deal of damage to the church, even from our members. May the Lord help us. May the Lord protect us from misguided zeal. In that moment, Saul recognized that the Galilean carpenter handed over to the Romans for crucifixion by the Jewish authorities, including Saul's own party, had died for sinners, had died for him. Saul recognized that Jesus had actually been resurrected just as his disciples had testified. He was not just resurrected, he was glorified. This was the glorified Christ that Saul was in front of. And in that moment, Saul's heart was regenerated. He was born again. 
Now Saul's conversion was unique. Since the ascension of Christ, Saul was the only one to hear the direct witness of the gospel personally by Christ himself. And he testifies of this in Galatians 1.12, For I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus also gave him through the power of, of the Holy Spirit, not just information, but a new heart. A new heart. As J. Gresham Machen tells us, Paul was well acquainted before the conversion with many of the facts about Jesus' life and death. What he received on the road to Damascus was a new interpretation of the facts and a new attitude toward them. He had known the facts before, but they had filled him with hatred, and now his hatred was changed to love. Brothers and sisters, that is the same thing that has happened to you and has happened to me. It is the same thing that has happened to every single Christian who has ever walked the face of the earth. It may be experienced differently, but this is regeneration. In one moment, through the working of the Holy Spirit, that stony heart of rebellion in the Apostle Paul, that rebellion against God, was replaced with a heart of love for God. And as men and women are born again, they cease to become enemies of God and to become friends of God. The Lord saved Saul and the Lord wanted to use Saul. The Lord Jesus gave Saul instructions. He said, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. He was still to go to, to Damascus, but no longer with the purpose of destroying the church. Rather, he was to go to Damascus to help build the church. He had given a commission by the high priest to arrest Christians. Now he had himself had become a Christian through the direct witness of Jesus Christ and was given a commission from the Lord Jesus Christ to help convert others to Christ and to help them grow in Christ. As Jesus will say to Ananias in verse 15, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. We'll, we'll drill down on that next week. This was the mission for which Saul had been born. In Galatians 1, 15 and 16, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might, I might preach him among the Gentiles. I said in the introduction that, that since the coming of Christ, no one has had an, as important an influence on world history as the, as the Apostle Paul. It's not an exaggeration to say that no human being has done more to build the church than him. It was he who, through the attendance of superintendents of the Holy Spirit, wrote, as I said, fully half the books of the New Testament. It was also he in the Lord's strength who spread the gospel throughout the then known world. He testified in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that he did more, even more than the other apostles, through the grace of God. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, in, that is with me. Again, if you are a Christian here this morning, thank God for the Apostle Paul. 
What's true of, of the Apostle Paul is true of all Christians. He and we now have a new mission, a new calling on our lives. Brothers and sisters, you have a new mission. You have a new calling on your life. Now, you may not have been consumed with the desire to destroy the church, but you were consumed with the desire to build your own life. You were consumed with your felt needs, with your desires for pleasure, your goals, your family, your success. But now you have an infinitely higher calling to help build the church. Now, here's the thing. Now, listen carefully. Quite often you will do many of the same things you did before you were saved, but with an entirely new motivation. Many of us will still build a career and build a family. We'll still be, seek pleasure, but we are no longer satisfied with mere earthly pleasure. We're no longer living merely for ourselves and for our personal goals. We, we are seeking to build careers and, and families and to live our lives for the glory of God. When you seek to live for the glory of God, you are helping to build the church. You are on the same mission as the Apostle Paul. Saul was not alone on the road to Damascus in his attempt to destroy the church. He was traveling to Damascus with other men, and they stood speechless the whole time. This was not a, a private vision merely for Paul. There were other witnesses of what had taken place. The men heard the voice, but evidently did not understand what was said. Paul says in Acts 22.9, Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Now they, they would have known that something momentous was taking place, but they did not see the glorified Jesus Christ. They saw no one. Saul rose from the ground, but he didn't see anything either because he had been blinded by the light. Now, we don't know what happened to those men, whether the Apostle Paul actually told them the gospel. We hope that some of them were, in fact, saved as well. But having been struck blind, Paul's traveling companions had to guide him by the hand to Damascus. Isn't it ironic that in Acts 13.11, God will empower him to strike Elymas the magician blind for his attempt to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith, and Elymas will have to be guided by the hand in his blindness. In Damascus, we are told that Saul fasted, and we're told in verse 11 that he prayed. And we're going to continue this passage next week, but the, the question that I have for you this morning is, has, have you had a Damascus road experience? Have you encountered the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, maybe some who are listening to this have not. That, that you still do not recognize who Jesus really is. You have not recognized him as God the Son incarnate. You have not submitted to him as Lord and Savior. And if that is you, 
please stop and consider the biblical evidence. What Jesus did for Saul, he can do for you. He can save you. No matter what your sin, no matter what your life looked like or looks like, he can save you. And this room is filled with people who are living testimonies of that fact. Pastor John, Pastor Joshua, I'm Pastor John, Pastor Joshua or I would, would be glad to talk with you further about who Jesus Christ really is and how you can have life in him. May you be among those who are gathered here who can say with the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I were once enemies of God. No, not with the same murderous rage as Saul once exhibited, but a rebellious enemy nonetheless. A stony-hearted rebel against Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, Christ died for you and me. He was raised for you and me and is interceding for you and me in glory. Every bit as much as Saul of Tarsus, you have been made a friend of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you recognize your calling? The Lord has revealed your calling to you in his word. You are the Lord's chosen instrument every bit as much as the Apostle Paul. No, you don't have the same calling of him in in terms of of scope, in terms of the, the direct people to whom God is sending you, but you have the same message as him. You have the same commission as him. You have the same calling as him. May the Lord help us, all of us, to recognize who he is and to recognize what he would have us do with the lives that he has given us. I'm going to close with 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21, the same passage that I closed with last week. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for who you are and all you have done in accomplishing all that was necessary for our salvation. Lord, you lived your life in perfect, heartfelt obedience and love to your heavenly Father. And you died on the cross as a substitute for our sins, as you paid the debt that we could never pay. 
so that in your death, we find forgiveness. We find justification. And in your life, we find the imputation of your righteousness, all of your good works credited to our account. Lord, what can we do for this great salvation except take up the cup of salvation and call on your name, O Lord? We brought nothing to the table but the sin that made our salvation necessary. Lord, you have granted us new life and you have given us a new calling to live our lives for your glory, to be focused on the advance of your kingdom and for the growth of your church. Help us, I pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit to recognize who you are and to recognize your calling upon our lives that we may live lives that bring great glory to the name above all names. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.